Johnny got baptized this morning. What an amazing moment. Boy, I remember it like it was yesterday, 10 years ago. I was on my back, in pain, in tears, sweating, did not want to go on. And I had somebody standing over me and saying, you either work out or waste away. And they walked away from me. And I'm on my back and I'm like, who are you? Literally on my back in the gym. This person, this trainer had worked me to death at that point. I wanted to quit. I wanted to tap out. He saw the tears, he saw the sweat, he saw, he knew I wanted to leave. And he stands over me and he gives me two options. Two terrible options. <laughs> Either work out, no, not the way you work me out, no, no, no. Or waste away, I don't want to waste away. I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> I just, I just want a Snickers <laughs> and water with electrolytes. I want a smoothie, I want my bed, I want a vacation right now. And this person was right. They knew there was only two choices. You either work out or you waste away. There's no happy middle. There's no status quo. There's no living in a neutral of life. And if you think that you are in neutral or just coasting, you're actually wasting away. There's actually only one choice. You've got to work out. You've got to stretch. You've got to grow. This is true for our physical bodies. This is true for our heart. This is true for our brains. This is true for our souls. This is true for us as a church. We will waste away if we settle for anything less than working out the fullness of the life that God has worked into this church. We're wrapping up a sermon series on the great letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians in a town called Philippi. We know it in Scripture as Philippians. And I want you first to hear these words read over you before I ask you to pull out your Bible. So here, this is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12. 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or complaining or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad 
and rejoice with me. If you have your Bibles, why don't you pull them out as we walk through that passage. If you don't own a Bible, there's a red book in front of you. That's a pew Bible. And if you're holding it in your hand, it's now yours. Would much rather you have it than it sit here all week. There's pencils around in front of you. You can go to the beginning. You can write your name in the beginning, Wally, right here. I mean, you've taken about 10. You've given away to a lot of people. Would rather them be in your hands. I don't want anyone at this church to not own a Bible. It is life. It is truth. It says the truest things about you in this world that we live in as we turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Forgive me, though. It's, it's, it's like parachuting into Paris and we've got 30 minutes to find out and discover and explore as much as we can. And my task and my prayer and my hope is that we would explore as much as we can in these 30 minutes and that we would, in the midst of this time, have a hunger, a desire to go deeper, that you wouldn't wait until next week to open up God's word, that you would take this home with you, that you would actually long to study it, that you would be in a small group, that you would actually experience in workshops here on Sundays and things throughout the week a deeper sense of growing and the things that God longs for you to have. And so the Apostle Paul, and I love this, and it's right in the middle of this letter, he says, therefore, my beloved, and I love this language, it's a term of endearment, a term of intimacy, a term of love. You see, the Apostle Paul is not a professional minister in the sense that he is punching his clock to just do the work to then go on with the rest of his life and the real things that he loves to do. It's out of a deep love, it's out of a deep cherishing, it's out of a deep sacrifice and an intimacy that he's laying down his life for these fellow Christians. He's writing this from jail. And he says, therefore, my dearly beloved, and I can so resonate with the Apostle Paul to have that same perspective to a group of people because I, yes, I'm the senior pastor of this church and people ask me often, what's it like? I mean, is it hard, is it difficult? And I say, yes, it's harder than anything I've ever done. It's more difficult than anything I've ever done in my life. I am beyond myself in this role. I've never woken up more times in a three-year period desperate for God, praying to God, God, would you give me wisdom? Would you give me hope? Would you give me energy? There's no more times I feel like in a three-year period that I've made mistakes and I've had to say, God, forgive me. I've had to go to other people and say, forgive me. And yet I tell people that it's a great joy because I get to serve, I get to, to be with, I get to shepherd, I get to lead. The same group of people that, that changed my eternity as a sophomore in college, well, at the University of Southern California, I came here sitting in the back row, not knowing anything about the Christian faith other than it was like this thing that you were supposed to do to earn God's love, and I learned grace. I experienced what it meant to belong to a community. I was loved, I was accepted, and I was challenged to grow. You, Bellar Church, you turned my eternity upside down. And so the fact that I get to in this role serve among you with an amazing pastoral team, with an amazing heads of departments and, and elders and deacons and members, it's a joy, it's amazing. So I can so resonate with Paul when he says, my beloved. No, that's how I feel about you. No, that's how our pastors feel about you. No, that's how our elders feel about you. No, that's how many of you feel about one another. Beloved. And it goes on, open those Bibles back up and it says this, therefore my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, and in this translation, in the new revised standard version, it says, just as you have always obeyed me. Now, really quickly, many Christian leaders have distorted this text, have abused this text. 
They've said, oh, this is, this is a license for the senior pastor to rule with an iron fist and not be questioned, to be king without any checks and balances. I mean, look, it says right there, Paul says to his people, just as you have always obeyed me, it would be easy for me to get up in front of you and distort it and to not preach what it's saying and says, you should obey me. Follow me. Don't question. Don't doubt. Praise me. Follow me. The moment you hear me doing that, kick me out of this church because that's not at all what this text is saying. This is not what God longs for leaders and shepherds and pastors to live. What's difficult here, and and you'll never hear me from the pulpit or anywhere for that matter say, cross out a word in Scripture. You'll never hear me say that. You'll never hear me say that. But I got really close with this one. (laughs) So instead, don't cross it out. Why don't you just circle the word me? or underline it, put a little asterisk next to it, draw a little line to a blank piece on the page, and I want you to write a name. Don't put Drew. Don't put any name of the pastoral team. We'll get there in a moment. I'll tell you what name you should put in a moment. But the reason why I have you focus on this is because in the original language of the New Testament, which is the Greek language, of which every Society has to translate from the original Greek into their native tongue, so we have the English here. And things, there's decisions that the translators have to make. And right here, I believe they made a mistake. There's not a mistake in God's word, I'm not saying that, but in the translation, they've included that word me, and it's not there in the Greek language. You see, in the original Greek language, there is no object connected with the verb obeyed. There's no me or you or him. There's no object. There's no source of who we should be obedient to. So in the the ambiguity of that, translators have to say, okay, is he talking about obedience to himself? These translators said that's what we think he's talking about. But if you look at the context, it just comes out of an amazing section that talks about how Jesus was obedient. You can read in verse 8. He was obedient to the point of death on a cross. He wasn't obedient to Paul. He wasn't obedient to any earthly leader. Who was he obedient to? God. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, my my beloved, my family, those whom I love, as you have been obedient, not to me. He says, as you've been obedient to God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So I want you to write the name Jesus off in the margin there. Well, why would you say Jesus? Why not God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit? When I say God the Father, it represents all the Trinity. When I say God the Spirit, it represents all the Trinity. When I say Jesus, it represents all of the Trinity, the community of one that is God. And so we look at Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. It is how God has shown to make God's self known to us. And as a church, we we say that we exist to follow Jesus. It's not about following me. It's not about following anybody else. It's about following Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. This is a 24-7 level of obedience. It's a way of life. And the Apostle Paul is saying that in everything you do with your family, with your friends, in your workplaces, even on vacation, even when you're sick, even when you're at the gym, even when you're with people like you, even with your people not like you, it's all about being obedient and following Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our King. 
And the Apostle Paul says that, that you've been doing this not only when I'm present. Open those Bibles back up. He says, you've been doing this even when I'm absent. That's the sign of a good teacher, the sign of a good coach, the sign of a good trainer, that even when they're not around, they're living out the principles or the life that has been taught. You see, Bel Air, we as a church, we long to be a church that even when we're not with one another, that we are the church in this city. That even when we aren't gathering with one another for an hour or two on a Sunday, that we are scattering as the church, that we would be consistent in our love for Jesus, in our life for Jesus, in our obedience to Jesus, in our devotion to Jesus, in our worship to Jesus, so that 24-7 is a worshiping way of life. That you wouldn't just come to church to worship, but you would be the church worshiping throughout your days. That you would pour out of your life this love that he's so poured into you. And he goes on, open those Bibles back up. Just keep them open, you might as well just keep them open. It says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, it does not say work for your salvation. It doesn't say work towards your salvation. This is a great reminder that God reveals to us that this isn't empty human-made religion. This isn't just about doing things or not doing things so that God would love you. This is working out something that's already been given to you. Work out your salvation. If you've got a gym membership, it's no point to just have that membership and never work out. If you own a car, there's no point in owning that car if you never drive it. If you have a kitchen, there's no point in having that kitchen if you never cook in it. I can go on and on with about 100 different metaphors. The point is, the Apostle Paul is saying that you have been given this thing. Now experience it. Enjoy it. Exercise it. But I can't skip forward yet because you've got to know that in the Greek language, when it says work out your salvation, it's not a singular your. Now, Catherine Wolf is from the South, and I'm sure at some point in her life she said, y'all. She might say, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's not here. What a helpful word, because when you say y'all, you're speaking to a group of people. When you say use guys, right? What else? What are some other things that is the plural you? Yints? Where's that from? Western Pennsylvania, to be specific. <laughs> So when you, when you read this, you need to understand the Apostle Paul is in a plural way writing to a group of people. It's addressed in Philippians chapter one, verse two. It says, to all the saints and all the overseers and all the deacons and all the people and all the Christians, he's saying all of you work out your salvation, singular. He doesn't say you work out your salvation, you work out your salvation, you work out your salvation. He's saying all of you work out your, not salvations, plural. He's saying you, all of you work out your salvation, singular. And that's why you've got to understand that the word salvation means so much more than just a ticket to get into heaven. It means the fullness of the life that God intended. The Hebrew word is the word shalom, it's a wholeness. It's where all things are right and whole and good, where people are thriving, where all people are thriving. 
And God longs for us to experience that now on our way to eternity with him in heaven. And the Apostle Paul is talking about this spiritual wholeness, the spiritual health. And he's saying that actually to be part of a community of faith, to be a family, means that it's not just you and Jesus. Off on your own, and you as an individual just show up on a Sunday just so that you can get filled up so you can go back to the rest of your own week. But to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, means that you are knit together in one body, one family, one community of faith. And Paul is commanding all of us to work out our wholeness, our spiritual health with fear and trembling. Now this is not with timidity or in a scared sort of way. This is with, with reverence, with awe, with, with humility. It means that you show up on a Sunday and you say not just what am I gonna get out of this, but you say what can I give towards this? That you're actually looking for opportunities to serve other people, to encourage other people. In fact, there's 50 verses in scripture, 50 unique verses in scripture that talk about the one another's of being part of a church family. Pray for one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens. And the Apostle Paul's longing for us in this season collectively to be in this, this moment together that we wouldn't just be sitting still watching church happen, but we would be the church participating in it. Now my son, he's five years old. You've probably seen him running around this church. He's like a Tasmanian devil. It's tons of fun, love him, love him, love him. He's got a lot of energy. And he is, uh, he is kind of matured in his age so that he no longer wants to sit in the shopping cart, but he wants to push the shopping cart. You have kids like this. You were once a kid like this. You've seen kids like this, right? And here's the problem, he's five years old. On one hand, he doesn't have the strength to push the shopping cart at the local grocery store. He also doesn't have the ability, nor the foresight, nor frankly, the care about other people uh, to drive it around people. In fact, if I was to just sit and watch him pushing that shopping cart, he would run it into the, the tomato aisle. Uh, he, he, would, he would knock over people. They would still be cleaning up the mess today from a week ago. I mean, he just charges down the aisle. So what do I do? Of course I'm gonna let him push. It's a beautiful thing. He is maturing in his age so that he should be able to lean into it to push. But what do I do as a parent? I, I kind of, I above him, I hold on to those rails, the handles, and I start, start guiding, course correcting. And here's the amazing thing. He is down there. He's just like pushing, you know, and I'm up above like this, and we go down aisle after aisle, and people look at him, and they make eye contact, and he, he's like all proud. He's like, look at me. I'm shopping for daddy, for mommy, little brother on the way. I'm shopping, I'm shopping, right? And then they look at me, and they're like, we see what you're doing there. And that image has so helped me see what it means for us to work out our salvation in humility because it goes on. Where do we get the strength to do that? Is it all on our own strength? Is it all in our own energy? It goes on. Verse 13, it says, for it is God who is at work in you enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the word work there is different than the word for work out your salvation. The word for work right there, for it is God that is at work in you is the word energen. Let me hear you say energen. That's where we get the same word for the word energy. You've heard of the Energizer Bunny. 
God is the great energizer God. And you might wonder, how am I gonna get the energy, how am I gonna get the strength to actually push, to actually work at making this church healthier? How am I gonna get the energy and the will and the desire to actually make this church more whole, for it to grow, for it to thrive? How am I gonna get the energy to actually have the patience to put up with that weird person that is in my small group? How am I gonna get the energy and the, and the motivation and the desire and actually the patience to put up with this pastor that is still the pastor? I mean, I thought he was gonna make it just two weeks. He's still here, it's three years. Where am I gonna get that energy? Some of you might say, where am I gonna get the energy to forgive that person? Where am I gonna get the desire to sacrifice my precious little bit of time I have to serve the youth? Well, it says right here that God is the God who is at work in you, who energizes you, who enables you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says that I'm not only gonna give you the energy to will it, to desire it, to want it, but I'm gonna give you the energy to actually do it. And I just imagine this God who is our heavenly father, in a sense, at the helm of this church. And myself and the pastors and the elders and the leaders and all of us as a church, we are called in this season to get out of sitting in the cart. We are growing in maturity. You've gotta get out of the cart and we, want, we need to push. We gotta push the same direction. And yet we've gotta trust that we have a God that is at the helm, who is in control. There might be moments where you say, what on earth, why are they going down this aisle? Why are they aiming this way? And we hope that you would, in humility, lean in. That's what it means to work out your salvation, not to walk away, but to lean in and in humility to work with us and to do so in a way where the Apostle Paul continues on. He says, do all things without murmuring and arguing. Now, in the Greek language, it gives this image of somebody that, that is just stirring up the pot. It's the opposite of humility, it's hostility. They're grumbling, they're divisive, they're angry, they're upset. They're like this simmering cauldron of frustration and they just want it to bubble over wherever they go. And it gives this image of not healthy conflict. What he's not saying is here is don't disagree. He's not saying that. In fact, all throughout scripture we give and see amazing examples of people that, that sit down in love that work through disagreements, that learn to forgive one another, that are patient with one another, that listen genuinely to one another. The Apostle Paul isn't saying here that, that you should all just be like-minded because you don't have opinions. No, he's saying what you shouldn't do is sneak off from the corner, bring somebody with you and say, man, can you believe what they're doing? Can you believe what they're doing? Idiots. That's rampant in the church. It's rampant in the global church. It's one of the most accelerated ways that God's enemy can divide a church. And the Apostle Paul says that if you have a disagreement, come in humility, come in love, and do it the biblical way. If somebody wrongs you, you go to them. You don't talk to 50 people first and say, should I, should I confront them? And here's all the things they did. No, you go straight to them. 
There was this amazing moment this, this week where actually one of our elders on the phone with me says, Drew, you know, I sent you an email about a month ago and I was pouring out my heart and there were some significant things that I wanted to share with you and you never responded to my email. And I was going through my mind, I said, oh my gosh, I didn't. And he said to me, he says, Drew, that, that disappointed me. And I wanted to share that with you first because I don't want anything to get in the way between us. I, I believe in what God is doing in this church. I believe in you as a leader. But man, that let me down. That was such a healthy moment in the life of our church. He called me out in the right way. He did so out of love. He exposed his heart and I was able to ask for forgiveness and it prompted me to say, gosh, I've got to continue to grow. I haven't arrived, you haven't arrived, we haven't arrived. I've got to work out or I'm going to waste away. And there are certain things in my life that I've got to do better, that I want to grow and I want people to hold me accountable and that was such a beautiful moment of us being the church. The Apostle Paul goes on, he says this. He says that if you do these things, if you work out what God has worked in, if you allow the energy of God to, to give you the desire to do these things that he's called you to do, if you do so with humility and not in hostility, then in verse 15 it says, then you'll be blameless and innocent. From the outside you'll be pure, on the inside you'll be pure, you'll be children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation which you shine like stars in the world. And I love this image because I was just away out of the country and I was in this place where uh, it's considered the best possible um, level of light pollution to take Milky Way photography. It was in a part of Canada out in the wilderness where it was so far from the city that on a scale there was zero light pollution. And so even with the naked eye, I could just see massive, massive, massive stars. I could see the galactic core of the Milky Way with my eyes. And what's so amazing about that picture is that it reminds us that as Christians that we should look different than the world around us. That in places where there is injustice, that we should be just. In places of bigotry, we should be loving. In places where there's lack of forgiveness, we should be forgiving. In places where there's separation and marginalization, we should be the unifiers. That we should actually look different than the rest of the world in our friendships, in our marriages, in the workplace. And actually we should look different when we vacation. Actually, we should look different when we party. We actually have more reason to party than anybody else in this world. We should party better than the rest of the world because we have a king. The way we shop should look different than the rest of the world. The way we eat should look different than the rest of the world. We actually have a reason. It's not just because we want to be like somebody else. It's because Christ has given us this life that is a life of thriving. Is that we actually, if we lean into this as a church, this is where ecclesiology, a word about the church, merges with missiology, a word about God's mission. You see, when we are truly the church that God longs for us to be, that it's not just what happens on the inside, but it's what happens through us in our world. That you will look different than those around you, and not only that you'll look different and stand out just for difference sake, but actually that you would transform the world around you. Light always overtakes the dark, not the other way around. And so when you shine like stars who are living as a follower of Christ, and actually your workplace should change, your neighborhood should change, your family and your friends should change, they actually should become more loving, more kind, more gracious. 
That's why I'm a Christian today. Because in college, I looked everywhere else and there was something magnetic about the Christians in the college ministry at this church. And I wanted that. I was drawn to it. And what's so beautiful about stars is you experience them in the present, but they came to you from millennia, millions, light years ago. That's the type of impact that you can have that not only impacts those who are with you now, but it can shine in such a way that it has effect for generations to come. How do people see you? Do they see you as just a neighbor, as just a coworker, as just a person, as just a selfish person, as just a judgmental Christian? The Apostle Paul says that if you are a Christian, they should see you visibly radiating the love of God. As Jesus says, that in your good deeds, people will see that and not praise you, but they'll praise your Father in heaven. You know, we've got to work out what God has worked in us. And in doing so, we're going to have to adjust and we're actually going to have to do things differently than we've ever done before. We're going to have to be stretched in ways we've never been stretched before. We might have to do things to grow that we've never done before. Imagine if somebody went to the gym and this was their workout the whole time. Just one arm. Build my tricep, yo. Get in that horseshoe. You know that horseshoe, the tricep horseshoe? You've seen that, right? Google it, tricep horseshoe. What if I just did this every day? Come back the next day, I'm gonna work out again. I'm gonna do two more this time. Imagine if the next year, and the next year, and the next year, imagine if 50 years, I've been just doing this, yeah. Just getting ripped. I'm working out, I'm working out, I'm working out. Wouldn't that be weird? I mean, wouldn't you just look at that person and say, well, nice tricep. But there's another arm. There's other things you could do, you know. Uh, you see, when you just do this, just this motion, it takes a lot to break that motion. It takes a complete change of habit, a change of even neural pathways to begin to do a different workout. And we as a church, maybe some of us, maybe perhaps if you self-reflect, maybe you just assume that there's only this way to grow. I only do so through this class at this time. I can't imagine growing. I can't imagine building muscle any other way than this. I can't imagine getting healthier any other way than this. Are you kidding me? I absolutely believe in this moment that God is calling every single one of us to grow in our relationship with God and with each other. Do not settle for the rhythms that you've only experienced up to this point. As a pastor, with a team of pastors, with a group of elders, we prayerfully believe that we need to worship and grow, not just worship and go, that we wouldn't be a drive through church. And my prayer for you, how beautiful was it that, that when we started this worship service, it was almost full on the bottom? It's because many of you showed up early to witness baptisms which is a way that you can grow, by the way. Some of you are like, what do you mean? I didn't grow through that. There wasn't a class. That's you saying this is the only way you can grow. You see, by you witnessing those baptisms, by you saying, dead to sin, alive in Christ, you're actually encouraging somebody else. That means you are growing. You are growing this church. You are working out the salvation, the spiritual health of this church. So my prayer is that in this season that you would look for, that you would long for different ways to grow. And even, you know, I look around, there's not one person 
up above. And some of you are like, yeah, tell me about it, Drew. Was that your idea? Because I love it up there. I, I love it up there. It's a great view up there. But what we want in this season, we want to be shoulder to shoulder. Because when we're spread out through this place, you, you know, you can't do stuff like this. You can't do stuff like this. I'm going to sit right here right next to you. I forgot my microphone. Kendall's going to run it over. She saw that happening. Now, we didn't plan this, as you can imagine. Why don't you share your name with the, with the group? I'm putting you on the spot, brother. Uh, Mark Clayman. Can everybody say, good morning, Mark Clayman. Now, put your hands up if you know Mark already. So not that many, but some. Now, the reality is that a church this size can't know every single person. That's just the dynamic of a church this size. So I'm not saying that every single person should know Mark. And yet, I long that we would every single day practice more and more what it means to be the church. And one of the ways that we can do that is for praying for one another. So Mark, I'm going to put you in the spot again. You seem courageous, so. Great. Yeah, great. Yeah. Looks are deceiving. Yeah, looks are deceiving. Uh, would, you, would you share a prayer request that you have? I'll give you a second because we mean it at Bel Air when we pray for you. Um, my sister behind me, Debbie, uh, has been battling cancer for a while, and she, um, she goes into chemo on Thursday. Mm. So I said I was going to be praying for her, so that would be my request for everyone to pray mm. for her. Mm. Put your hands up if you're going to pray for Mark. Put those hands up really high. I want you to look around. I want you to look around. I believe you, church, when you say that you're going to pray. There's no question about it. Look around. Keep those hands up. We want to be a praying church. And so I hope that gives you courage. I hope that gives you courage, sister as you go into chemo this week. Don't wait for me to do this, even as you put those hands down. My prayer is that you would stop showing up to church without somebody on your mind that you're praying for who's part of this church. When was the last time you showed up to church with somebody on your mind who's part of this church that you were praying for on the drive, that you were praying for that week, that you were praying for that morning? This is the church that God longs for, that every single one of us would be a part of the whole. Let's start by praying for one another. And that means maybe the person next to you, whom you know or don't know, you might say before you leave, hey, how can I pray for you? Watch what God will do if you step out in faith that way. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for this moment. God, you give us a reason to celebrate. You give us a reason to, to have hope. You are our energy. You are the source of our life, the source of our joy, the source of our peace the source of our everything, God. 
So God, we're reminded that there is 24-7 praise in heaven. It says in scripture that there are angels in heaven rejoicing day and night, singing holy, holy, holy. That there's a party in heaven, a celebration in heaven because they have a picture of what is truly worth worshiping. What is truly worth giving our attention to. And God, you've given us everything. You've given us a hope. You've given us a future. You've given us an identity. You tell us that we are your children through our faith and trust in Jesus. Now God, will we live out, would we work out that truth as a people, as a body? One faith with one Lord. Jesus, would we lift your name higher than any other name as we worship you now? Jesus, in your mighty and matchless name as we join the angels and as we pray, we say together, amen.